wrap all of that up in rather an unusual way, and you'll see what I mean in just a little bit. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter number 13. How many of you noticed the title of the message as, as you happened to walk in? No one? <laughs> well, anyway, it's posted in the foyer. <laughs> and that's all right. It might be better if you didn't, because some of you might think, you know, this doesn't make any sense. We're going to talk this morning about a funny funeral. A funny funeral. Now, over the years as a pastor, 40 years now, over those years I've seen a lot of weird things happen at funerals. And, and, and sometimes you don't know what to expect. The unexpected can happen. I read about one funeral. This doctor had passed away, and they were having the funeral. All of the family and the friends gathered around and weeping at the graveside and so. After the service was over, they began to leave, and all of a sudden there was this eerie, weird sound coming from over in the area of the grave. And everybody just stopped in their tracks and turned around and looked back over toward the grave, wondering what's going to happen next. And finally one of the colleagues broke the silence and said, Oh, don't worry about it, that's just his, his pager going off. So... Unexpected things happen, but sometimes the things that happen just can be downright funny. I, somebody sent me an email some time ago about this young preacher, and the funeral director in the area had asked him to conduct the service for a homeless man. Now, I've had this happen to me. Funeral home call up, we've got a homeless person, uh, we don't have anybody to preach the funeral, would you, would you do it? And in this case, there was going to be nobody there as far as he knew, and so he said, well, sure, I'll be glad to help however I can. Well, the service was going to be a graveside service, going to be way out in the country. And those of you that have, you know, been, lived out in the country, you know what it's like at the, the church in the cemetery behind the church, you see. And so they just moved from the deadness of the pew to the deadness of the cemetery. And they bury them right out back. I preached a revival in one church where all of their former pastors except the living ones all buried out in the back. And I, I thought, I hope they never call me here. And they did, but I didn't go. But anyway, he was, he was running about an hour late and he thought, oh, what in the world am I going to do? So he comes flying then there, in there an hour late and he pulls in and he rushes around to the back and, and there's the, the crew out there, the back hole, and, and the crew, they're all sitting there eating lunch. Nobody else around. There's the open hole and the, and the back hole and the crew all sitting there eating lunch. So he runs up there with his, you know, his tongue rolling out and exhausted and told the fellow, said, look, I'm so sorry. I, I just, I hate it so much. But I said, he said, well, I'm going to take care of, we, we just got to do this. And so he, Goes over to where the hole in the ground, and he stands there, and he he, he begins to begins to preach. I mean, you know, he wanted to give this fellow good, you know, going away, and so he starts preaching. Those guys sitting over there, one of them said, "Amen." After all, another said, "Amen." The young preacher said, "I just started preaching harder than I ever had before, and the more I preach, the more they said, Amen." And 
So finally he got through and, you know, and, uh, and thanked the people for their attention and cooperation and started to leave. And one of the workmen said, I'll tell you what, he said, he said, in all these years, he said, I ain't never seen nothing like that. He said, there's no telling how many septic tanks I buried and I ain't never seen a preacher do that before. So, <laughs> so. Sometimes it's unexpected, sometimes it's funny, and sometimes, sometimes it's, it, it can be just, I mean, fun. Now, this is a true story. I read it this last week. I didn't want to get it wrong. This, this was in the, uh, in the newspaper, the Dallas Morning News, and it is about a couple by the name of Richard and Robin Shopes. Bible romance conquers all for this couple. And uh, anyway, they're both Christian people. He is six years younger than she is. She's a high school teacher. He is an assistant pastor. And, and I won't read all of the article, but here's what happened. She said, I was falling in love with him. I mean, she's just, you know, but she said, I, I didn't know how he felt about me. And so, you know, they would, uh, they would, you know, see each other at the church outings and occasionally they'd stop, you know, and have a, a Coke or, you know, a lunch together or something like that. And she's wondering, well, you know, how does he feel about me? Well, on this particular day, he asked her if she'd like to go out for dinner and they went out and so they're sitting there. Her mother has been very critically ill. In fact, she's terminal and she's just not going to make it and the woman knows it and she's distraught and he mentions in the statement, he said, you know, it didn't feel like a date. It felt more like I was there as a counselor for her and so he said to her, he said, what are you, what are you looking for, you know, in life and what have you? And just as he said that, it's as though the Lord had spoken to him, saying, she's looking for a husband and you're it. And so, so he said, I quit asking questions. He just moved on. But, but it lingered with him and he kept thinking about it. In a few weeks, her mother died. True story. The mother died. The family is there. She said, my sister was there with her husband, my brother was there with his wife, and I was all alone there grieving at the loss of my mother. The service had already started when Richard walked in, walked up to where Robin was, and quietly sat down and just asked her, what are you doing on June the 28th? And she said, why? And he said, I thought we'd get married that day. Still crying, Robin started laughing. The other mourners stated as she buried her face in her hands and wept. And it says, my mother was gone and I was so sad and I was engaged and I was so happy. You just never know what's going to happen at a funeral anymore. Well... Today, we're going to talk about a funny funeral. 2 Kings, chapter number 13, verse 20. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. 
And it came to pass as they were burying a man that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher. For you young people, that's, that's the grave, the tomb, the place where they buried the dead, into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. You talk about unexpected. This is one of those unexpected moments. Here is this fellow, an unknown man, at least he's unknown to us, an Israelite, and he dies. And all of a sudden, during the the, the very moment of the burial, they look up and they see a band of Moabites coming at them. I mean, these are the these are the. People that are the enemies are out to get them, and they see this band of soldiers coming that way, and they just take that body and chunk it into the into the grave. And you know, I, we got to get out of here. We can't take him with us. We're not leaving him here. Just, I just chunk him in the grave. I, I don't know about you. That's hilarious to me, especially whenever his body touches the body, the bones now of Elisha, and kapoof when that happens, that fellow just. All of a sudden, comes to life and stands up. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful, but that is a funny funeral. I mean, can you imagine what those people must have thought? All through this series of messages, we've been thinking about the Lord God of Elijah. The greatness of His grace and His power and how that in the most distressing times, in the most desperate days, that we can depend on God to meet our needs. And here we see another example of that. I want you to think about four things this morning. I want you to notice the scene of this miracle. First of all, it was a time of battle. The Moabites, that's the descendants of Moab, Lot's son, they've invaded the land. Now remember, Israel, if you look back in verse 7, their army has already been reduced in size. In other words, they're, they're already undermanned. The odds are against them. And now the enemy is coming after them, and if ever they needed something to encourage them, it's now. I mean, the pressure is great. And nobody could have guessed what was about to happen. A time of battle, but not only a time of battle, it's a time of burial. Now, there's a big difference, you know. If you're in a battle, you might recover, but if you've been buried, that I mean, that's about as final as you can get when you die. You know, that's final. If you're in a battle, you've got a chance. But if you're dead, it's all over. Elisha, the man of God, has died and now this other fellow is about to be buried. And they're thinking to themselves, no doubt, what in the world are we going to do? I mean, here's a grieving family. You put yourself in their place, and there seems that there's no relief. I mean, we just lost, you know, Elijah, uh, Elisha, the prophet, is dead. Now our loved one has died, and the enemy is out there. You heard the old saying, when it rains, it pours. That's what they're going through. Have you ever had days like that? Sure you have. It just seems like absolutely everything is against you. And that's the way it seemed to this family. What 
could happen next, you know. It's as bad as it can get. Well, death has a way of blotting out of our mind all of the blessings from yesterday, right? I mean, when you're standing there at the graveside and you've got tears in your eyes and your heart is broken, your loved one is gone, and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world will I ever survive without them? That's tough. Amen? There are those here, no doubt, that have lost spouses. You know, you know what it is to, to, to go through the suffering of your husband or your wife having been, been buried. Not easy. Some of you have lost your parents. It's not easy going through times like that. And I want you to notice in all of this, suddenly God turns their attention from what? From death to life. This is an object lesson, folks. They're focused on the bad things. The enemy is out there. And our loved one is here, lifeless. The prophet of God is dead and gone. Where are we going to turn for spiritual counsel? What are we going to do? And God is shifting their focus from death to life. You know, God has a way of doing that. And notice the surprise of this miracle. I can guarantee you, when they got up out of bed that morning, absolutely nobody that attended that funeral expected anything like this. Their mind is focused on the separation. They didn't think anything about, you know, I'm going to a funeral and it's going to really be fun. I'm going to a funeral and it's really going to be excited. I'm going to a funeral and I'm going to really get a blessing. And you know, I've noticed over the years that God has a way of surprising us. And sometimes when we get to that place, we just feel like, you know, I can't take it anymore. I've reached the end of my rope. I just can't go on. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I just don't want to go on. I just want out. I just want to quit. And all of a sudden, God just comes along and He surprises us. And He begins to do a work in our heart. And listen, a lot of times the circumstances around us has not even changed, and yet God is changing us. And all of a sudden, when it seems like that there's no solution for the problem, God just in a moment of time says, let me show you how easy this is. When you think about miracles, we usually, you know, we associate miracles with the supernatural. But understand, the supernatural is natural to God. I mean, how many times have you had a problem and you said, well, I'll tell you what, it's going to take a miracle to get me out of this. So what? God specializes in miracles. So here we see the surprise of this miracle. Nobody is looking for it. Certainly no plans made for it. I've seen some of these preachers send out these revival posters and ads on TV and radio and all of this, you know, inviting people to come out to their meetings where there's going to be miracles and signs and wonders. Don't waste your time. God's not going to be in any of that stuff. If God's going to do something, He doesn't need to announce it ahead of time by some money-hungry preacher that's willing to do whatever to take advantage of people. Amen. God just surprised them. Now, notice the source of this miracle. 
Nobody else. No living persons involved. All you have is a dead man. Two dead men. One of them has been dead for a while. Elisha, his bones there in the grave. And then you have this man. Two dead men and God. That's, that's all you have. It reminds us that God is the source of our strength. Now, how do you have a miracle with just two dead men? Easy. You've got God. God can bring about a miracle. And sometimes we forget that God is the source of our strength because so many times, you know, we feel that it's all up to us. Right? Pastors do that. They feel like, you know, that if the church is going to grow, if it's going to prosper, if we're going to get that building and we're going to meet that deadline and we're going to do this and we're going to do that, boy, it's, it's all up to me. i got to make sure I get it done, you see. Big mistake. We cannot make anything of eternal value happen by our own self-effort. I don't care how hard you try, the bottom line is that God is the only one that can meet our deepest needs. You hear the experts talk about, you know, self-help books and all of these other things about, you know, what we can do. Listen, we brag too much about man's ability and we need to get our focus back on God. Maybe you heard that and you think, but I'm in a hopeless situation. I lost my job. They had a big layoff, so I don't have any income, you know, and, and, and I don't feel good. My health is getting bad. My wife is getting cranky. All of the kids are living in rebellion and on and on and on and on. You've got all of these problems, yeah, but the question is, is God still alive? Amen. Well, if He is, then, then everything's all right. Amen? Because God can meet all of those needs. I'm not trying to minimize your problems. I'm trying to get you to understand that God is bigger than all of your problems. Amen. There's never any reason for us to give up when God is still on the throne. But notice the significance of all of this. And this is where I want to camp out. This is what I want you to see. What's this all about? What is the purpose behind this? God is educating us, not entertaining us. Are you listening? Whenever you study all of the miracles in the Bible, and whether it's over in the Gospel of John or wherever it is, and those clusters of miracles that happen at different times, if you read what Jesus said in regards to miracles, the miracles are designed to have a message, not to just entertain people. In other words, God expects us to learn something about Him and our relationship with Him. So what is the message here, the message of the miracle? What is the purpose in all of this? Well, there are three obvious things that some folks still do not understand today, but in this miracle, we see all three of these things very clearly. Number one, God is in control. You see, death has a way of showing us how helpless we are. I mean, you're dead, you can't do anything. You can't get up and go to work, you can't eat, you can't, you just can't do anything. I mean, you're You're helpless, right? And so God is giving us a picture of a situation that is absolutely, absolutely beyond 
hope, speaking from the human standpoint. Not anything anybody can do. More than likely, every one of us can think of some loved one in our life. Some loved one that is in rebellion against God. In some instances, some loved one that is unsaved. And just one heartbeat and one breath away from a devil's hell. We can all think of somebody that we love that's in that condition. And we've tried and we've tried and we've tried. And finally we come to the conclusion, it's just hopeless. It's hopeless. There's no way that this need's ever going to be met. And we forget about the fact that God is in control. You say, yeah, but they've already made up their mind and they're going to do what they want to do. Well, I'll tell you, God has a way of controlling the circumstances to make people willing that have not been willing. I mean, listen, God knows how to exert the pressure to get people's attention and to bring them to the place that they're looking for the answer and that they can discover He is the answer. Chances are good that every person here, when you got saved, that you had just gone through some sort of a crisis. It might have, it might have been something simple, like you'd been, maybe for weeks, you'd gone through a state of depression. It might have been that, you know, with a young person, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend had left you. It might, it might have been you, you'd flunked out of school. It might have been you'd lost a job. It might have been that you had been enslaved by some sin in your life and you find yourself just trapped there and you can't break free. It might be something such as just longing for for something in this world that satisfies, but there, there's usually always some kind of a crisis that we're going through. Because you see, people never turn to the Lord until they realize they need the Lord. And it's during that time of crisis that they turn to Christ. And I'm telling you, because God is in control, God can turn up the heat and God can arrange things so as to get people's attention that they will see their need of Him. God is in control in our life. Secondly, we see here God's concern. He's not only in control. And it's one thing to be in control. It's another thing to be concerned about people, right? I mean, you can look back and you say, well, Hitler was in control, but Hitler had no compassion and no concern for humanity. Now, God is in control and God is concerned about people. Remember, the prophet is dead. The man they've been looking to for spiritual guidance. The man that has worked one miracle after another. The man that has demonstrated and manifested the presence of God in the midst of a nation. He's dead and he's gone. But God is just reminding them, the preacher's dead, but I'm still alive. I'm still here. I'm still alive. Now, this miracle goes beyond God's concern for that dead man and for his family. This is a message to the king, folks, and not just the king, but to the entire nation. And the next point illustrates what I'm talking about. We see his control. We see his concern. But notice his communication. And you can be sure that that people would be talking about this. 
You know, can you imagine folks, you know, a week, a month later, a year later saying, you'll never believe, last time you know I was down there in that part of the country, I went to a funeral, you ain't never seen no funeral like this one. I mean, we're still talking about it today, right? So you know the king's going to be talking about it and the people are going to be talking about it. God is communicating with them. And isn't it strange that in communicating with them, God uses a resurrection. They throw the body in the grave and the body touches the bones of the preacher and he comes to life. You know, resurrections have a way of getting our attention. Right? I mean, after all, we still celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. When we meet together, it's in celebration of what Jesus Christ did for us. It was by means of the resurrection that Jesus Christ proved Himself to be the Son of God. Now look at verse 24 and verse 25, and we're talking about God using this by way of communicating. Just look at the last part of verse 25. And here it's talking about the king, and it says, Three times did Joash beat him. That's talking about the, you know, the king of Syria. Three times did he beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. Now, for those of you that were in attendance when we brought the previous message. Maybe you'll remember how that Elisha had told the king, he said, to take the arrows and go out and smite on the ground. Do you remember? He took those arrows and he, he hit or shot or however, he smote the ground three times, and he came back and said, okay, I'm done. And Elisha said, you should have smitten the ground five or six times, for then would you have defeated the army of the Syrians. Whereas now, he says, you're only going to defeat them, that is, drive them back three times. What happens here, folks? Three times. Three times he defeated the king of Syria And after that, it was all downhill. Do you see the connection? God is showing them, I am in control. And I'm using the means of this resurrection, the means of this miracle, in order to get your attention and to show you that I am in control. Do you suppose that Joash wished that he had smitten the ground with the arrows more than three times now? Absolutely. In other words, he just half-heartedly went through the motions of doing what he thought the preacher expected from him, just like some of you are doing. The Sunday school teacher, the preacher stands up and takes the Word of God and says, look, here's what God expects from us as His people. And how many times do we just half-heartedly go through the motions, just kind of pretending that we're giving God our all when really we're not? Listen, we always end up regretting it when we do less than our best. You see how costly this thing was? He had done less than his best, and now he wins three victories, and then the nation goes down in defeat, all because he did not care enough to put his whole heart into it. And in whatever we do in serving God, if we don't put our whole heart into it, 
we're going to regret it. God's never pleased with half-heartedness. Remember when He says in the book of Malachi to the children of Israel when they had given God less than their best, remember, they gave Him those old sheep that were sick and blind. Some of them had been mangled by wild animals. I mean, they're, they're going to die. And they took those animals up to the priest and said, this is our sacrifice And here. You know, they're reasoning this out in their mind. They're thinking, you know, this animal is going to die. I know what the preacher says. I know that we're supposed to bring our very best animal to God. I know it can't have any spot or any blemish. I understand that. But this animal is going to die, and it just doesn't stand to reason. You see, that's where we always get in trouble, trying to reason things out instead of trying to obey the Word of God. And so they just bring these old, these old mangy, sick animals to God. And the Lord told them what? The Lord take I don't want it. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to accept anything you do. On occasions, He even told them concerning their music and what have you. He said, it's like noise in my ears. Let me tell you something. Whenever you preach, when you teach, when you give, whenever you sing, whatever you do, if you don't have your heart in it, understand this. It's not just a matter of God's going to be a little bit pleased with it. No, if you don't have your whole heart in it, nothing about it pleases God. Amen. Nothing. Amen. You just wasted your time. You wasted your breath. You wasted your effort. God's not pleased unless we do it with our whole heart. Now, notice the lessons here. Number one, we are at war. We cannot be neutral. It was during a time of battle. And as long as we're in this life, as long as we're here on this earth, folks, listen, we're either on one side or the other. Remember Jesus saying, He that's not for me is what? Against me. And you can be against Him and have your name on the church roll. You can be against Him and sing in the choir and teach Sunday school. Because if you're not wholeheartedly involved in serving God the best you can with all of your heart, if you're not doing that, then you're not for Him. You're against Him. Do you remember the demands of discipleship? What, what did Jesus say? Help me out here, somebody. I want, I want to know if you know. What are some of the demands of discipleship? Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, what's it going to take? Forsake how much? Everything? You, you kidding? Everything, huh? And take up what? Oh, I'd rather lay down on the couch. Take up a cross. That's an instrument of death. That's cruel. That's and follow him. You, you mean you mean I can't have my own agenda, do my own thing, go where I want to go, and so forth? No, listen. You've got it right, folks. That's exactly what he said. Let him take up his cross and follow me. And he goes on down and he begins to elaborate and get more specific in that. And he talks about our relationships with each other and so on and so forth. And how that he has to have first place in our heart be above everything. And I'm simply saying that in this struggle that we're involved in, in this life, and in the kingdom of God, we cannot be neutral. Not only that, but the extent of our victory depends upon our willingness to do our best. 
Regardless of how hard we try, it'll never be enough unless God intervenes. We can never do it on our own. We're talking about selling this building, buying another building, relocating the the church, and all that sounds wonderful to me. I, I just can't wait until it's all a done deal. But let me tell you, when it's a done deal, the deal isn't over then. I mean, work's just beginning, folks. And we've got to be determined in our heart that whatever difficulty it is we're facing, whatever we're going through, that God is in control. That we don't hit the panic button when everything doesn't work out the way we want it to. You say, well, preacher, you got some inside scoop. You know something I don't know. Is this not going to work out? Are you just kind of preparing us for a letdown? No, I don't mean that at all. But I'm just saying it's possible that God doesn't do things the way we expect, expect Him to do them. Sometimes they just don't turn out that way. We've got to learn to deal with those disappointments and go ahead wholeheartedly doing what God wants us to do and not depending upon our own efforts, but depending upon His power. That's the only thing that can bring victory. The only way any of us can achieve victory in our lives. Somebody says, you know, the Christian life is so difficult, just so hard. Well, listen, it's, it's really not hard. It's impossible. It's not just something that's just difficult. No, it's impossible. There's absolutely no way any of us can live the Christian life in a manner that's pleasing to God in our own strength. We can't do it. The only way that we can become the person God wants us to be is by relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible talks so much about us being filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit of God doesn't mean you're going to run down the aisle and turn somersets and talk in tongues and all kinds of silly stuff. doesn't mean that at all. Being filled with the Spirit means simply that we are under the control of the Spirit of God. It's not a matter of getting more of the Spirit. The Spirit is a person. You don't need more of the Spirit. The Spirit needs more of you. And it's a matter of us surrendering ourselves to God. And when we do that, what happens? He begins to do the things we can't do. Those problems that loom so large on your horizon, those things that seem so impossible with you, listen, none of that's difficult for God. He never breaks a sweat. He never has to strain. God's able to do whatever needs to be done. But He does it only in response to our willingness to do our best and to trust Him to do what we cannot do. If the truth is known, every person here... Now, your problem's different. I understand that. You're not at war against the Syrians. You're not at war against the Moabites. And it might be at this moment there's, you don't have a funeral in your plans. You haven't lost your loved one to death. You're not in exactly the same situation, but you are in a situation that requires the strength and the power and the wisdom that only God can provide. And you've got a decision to make. Either you're going to go on ignoring God, giving God less than your best, half-heartedly going through the motions and lose out on what God wants to do in your life, or you will yield yourself entirely to Him. And when you do, 
He'll begin to do the things that, uh, well, sometimes we never imagined. Nobody imagined a miracle like this, right? Nobody got up that morning and said, I'll tell you what, here they're got some scrambled eggs and bacon and a cup of coffee in the hand, look across the table at each other and say, this is going to be a fun funeral. We're going to watch a resurrection today. Nobody thought that. And all of a sudden, God did what was impossible. Do you know this could be one of those life-changing days for you? Maybe you're here and you're, you're just empty and lonely and feel overwhelmed with life. i got good news for you. You don't have to live that way. The Lord God of Elijah, the God that enabled these men to work all of those miracles, the God that guided that nation and provided that nation and defeated their enemies, that same God is still alive today. And He knows... And He cares, and He can help. And He wants to help you this morning. Will you let Him help you? Will you just come to Him this morning and say, Lord, I've I've tried and I've tried and I haven't done anything but make a mess out of things. This morning, I'm just going to put it all in Your hands and I'm going to trust You to do what I could never, ever do myself. Would you bring it all before Him and just lay it out and say, Lord, I, I know what You're saying. I know what You want. And here I am. I'm willing to give You whatever You want. I'm willing to go where You want me to go, do whatever You want me to do. I'm willing to do it. I'm through playing games. I'm tired of pretending. And I'm just putting it all in Your hands this morning while we stand together. Father... I pray this morning that you'll help us to get our focus off of the difficulties and to think about you and the great potential, the great opportunities that we have each and every day. And Lord, I pray this morning that somebody that's here that's discouraged and they face what seems to be an impossible situation, their marriage is on the rocks. They've lost their job or they've taken a cut in pay can't send the kids to college. It might be someone this morning is physically afflicted. They've received the diagnosis from the doctor that said we've done all that we can do. We can't do any more. And Heavenly Father, we're not trying to dictate to You what You ought to do today. But Lord, we're just simply coming before You today realizing that whatever it is that needs to be done, we are powerless. We are like Helpless little children, and our tiny, scrawny little arms cannot even begin to to contend against the enemies that we face. And so we pray today that we might, as little children, come before You with complete faith and trust in You to do what needs to be done. And for the one that's unsaved, that they might be saved today. And Lord, there might be folks here today that need to follow You in believers' baptism and others that may be looking for a church home. And I pray that You might speak to their heart and may this be the day that they would make the decision, yes, this is where God wants me to be. In Jesus' name we pray. So we lift our voice in song.